Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So welcome to another edition of Face to Face. We're here today uh, at the Center for Social Innovation in Toronto. It's frankly a little too early to be doing a podcast, but it's uh, 9, 9.24, but that's all we could squeeze in here. My guest today is Ben Peterson. Thanks for joining us, Ben. Pleasure. And uh, I think you're going to like what Ben is going to talk about today. Ben uh, is a uh, former, well, co-founder, always a co-founder, I suppose, and uh, um, CEO of uh, Newsana.com. That's N-E-W... S-A-N-A.com, and he's going to tell us uh, a little bit more about what that is all about and about his connection to Journalists for Human Rights. That's J-H-R. He, he was the, also the co-founder and executive director of, of J-H-R. So I think Ben's got some stories. That's my guess. And uh, got a few. You've got a few. I bet you do. <clears throat> and um, we're going to talk a little bit today about what's happening in the whole social media world, really. And, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm here and excited to to dig a little more on what Newsan is all about. So, uh, Ben, why don't we start there? Um, ben and I have just met uh, moments ago, and I was hoping we might have a little more time to hang out and chat and just sort of catch up, even though we've never met. So, having said all that, Ben, what the heck is Nuzana really all about um, for people who haven't actually visited your site yet? So Nuzana is about finding and celebrating 
the best, most important, most intelligent news and ideas and commentary of the day in a whole variety of different subjects. Listen, David, we live in a world where news is everywhere, where we get content flying at us in a million different directions and a million different speeds. You go on Twitter and you get a shotgun blast of information. Um, you go to um, <clears throat> you know, anywhere online. Um, there's just constant information flowing at us and it's becoming increasingly difficult to pick out what is the best and most relevant to you in your life. And so what we're facing, most people, you know, 70% of online news consumers feel overwhelmed with the amount of content available to them. So what we're trying to do is slow down that flow, pick out the best of the best, and deliver it to people in a way that, um, uh, that is enjoyable and informative. So do I have to become a member of Newsana? How do, how do I get the news? So you, yes, you, have to, you, you can come to Newsana.com and you can read some of the content. The best way to do it is to become a member, to sign up on uh, Newsana.com. Um, and then um, you can start reading the news that our community has selected. Um, if you want to get you know, the full experience, you, know, you can become an expert on Newsana, which allows you to be one of the people that does the work of selecting the best of the best. Um, so so it's, almost like, it's almost like you're amassing a group of editors, in a way. Yes. So Newsana is... Or filters. What we're, what we're trying to do is basically expert source the news editing role. So in a traditional newspaper, one person um, or a series of editors look at all the news that's being produced today they, and they pick what they think is good and they put that in the newspaper. At Newsana, what we say is, you know, one editor can do a really good job, but, you know, let's try and expert source this problem and have dozens, even hundreds of different experts in a specific subject come together. They all go out, find the news that's relevant to them. They bring it back to Newsana. They discuss that content. They vote on that content. And based on all of that community activity, the top stories of the day emerge. Is this, is it, okay, so maybe this is digging a little too deep right out of the gate at four yeah. minutes and 15 seconds in, but it sounds to me like this is not, a, not, not gonna fall into that whole uh, manufactured consent sort of approach to, to newsmaking back, you know, Chomsky's notion back in the late 70s, early 80s, where, you know, the media monopoly, right? Yeah. There's only so many people making the news, so therefore it's completely centered and it's uh, censored and it's funneled and, you know, it's all the news that's fit to print. Well, it's actually all the news we think is fit to print. So it seems to me like you're actually kind of attending to that a little bit. The internet has attended to it. Yeah, I think. But it's overreacted. It's over, sorry, it's overproduced almost in a way. Yeah, in a way, like the internet has allowed anybody to put whatever they want online. And so we're saying that's great. There's a lot of Good. value to that. A lot that. of value, yeah. But for the average person who just wants the news, it's a little bit too much. So we're trying to figure out how to dial that back a little bit and provide people with the best of the best content. The reason I brought up Chomsky is, I mean, my listeners will get sick of hearing about Cambodia at some point, and maybe I've already now shut off the podcast, but, but you know, uh, back years ago, I was, uh, I was 12 years old 
11 years old when the Khmer Rouge invaded Phnom Penh. It's a huge mm -hmm. focus for me academically and the work that I do on the ground. Yeah. At 11 years old, I was blown away that I didn't hear about it as I reflect back on the history. And Chomsky would argue there was a reason for that because we didn't want you to hear about it. Well, yes, you were only 11 years old, but yeah. your father didn't hear about it either because there was a portion on Cambodia, but it was on page 17 of the newspaper. Yeah. So <clears throat> does Nuzana help to deal with that in a way, in the sense that, um, yeah, I, because if you've got experts on, say, maybe Cambodia, or you've got an expert on international development, they're probably gonna focus on that more than, say, just a regular editor at the Toronto Sun. Like. Yes, yes, and listen, I think, in, look, there's there's a lot of things happening in this world today that still people don't know about. Right. And I think the information overload, in a lot of ways, has forced us to become more narrow on the types of content that we want to focus on, and want to you know that we care about. Um, you know, because there's millions and millions and millions of stories floating out there every day, and only a handful of them are on, say, what's happening right now in the Central African Republic, right? Where there's you know talk of genocide going on, but you know it's getting very little attention from traditional media, and also very little attention from social media, right? Just because you know it's just low on the priority list, and it's even maybe now even harder to find. The news, what's going on in the CAR, than it would have been before. Now, the difference it is popular for a couple weeks. For maybe, and maybe when I say popular, yeah. that's probably small p. But the interesting thing now is, if you care about what's going on in the CAR or what's going on in Darfur continually, or what's going on in Syria right now, you can find far more information on those uh, those issues than you could have. If those if it happened twenty years ago, right? But you have to dig a little bit deeper. It's not going to be on the front page of uh, the Globe and Mail, likely, or it's probably not going to be on your Facebook feed either. But if you can, if you know you know who to follow on Twitter, if you know what blogs to read, if you know which activists and which organizations are studying the situation on the ground, you can find troves of information on those issues. Um, in ways that you couldn't before. And so the editors are the, the specialists at Nuzana, um, and any member really is, is yeah. acting as a, another collecting point based on their perspective. And yeah, and basically what we're, what we're seeing in the, in the news world right now is, um, is this intense specialization happening. Huh. Huh. So instead of you know, the general news, there's just so much general news. Like, how do you pick and choose what you know what's of interest to you, right? So, if, but if you really care about international development or you know what's going on in the CAR, then there's tons of information. You can get really deep and dirty in that situation. But then you don't have enough t hours in your day then to look at what's happening on the Malaysian airline flight. Am I going to find um, anything about uh, Paris Hilton or Justin Bieber on New Zealand? Hopefully, probably not. Okay. Um, there may be, you know, the idea f behind Nuzana is to find really good, high-quality, intelligent uh, stories. So if there's something really smart or really insightful about those kinds of people, then, yeah, you might find it on Nuzana. Right, right. Um, um, but at the end of the day, the, the issue with Nuzana is that, that we're sort of getting, trying to get through right now is that <clears throat> we're a community. So 
people come, they sign up, and then they're free to post whatever content they want. And it's, and it's all about posting, it's <clears throat> not about creating. So if yes. you become a member, you're not creating news, you're not yeah. going out looking for stories uh, with a pen and a pad in hand or a camera, you're actually trolling the internet looking for uh, what's important in your world, and you want to yeah. share that with others. Exactly. Okay. Um, it's about curating content. Curating. So going out and finding really good stories elsewhere, bringing them to Newsana, writing a brief analysis as to why you've chosen to share them on Newsana, okay. and then letting other members vote for it. So I'm not, I mean, I've consumed news for years, I suppose, and I, there's yeah. half a dozen places that I would get it. Um, how would this differ from, say, Puffington Post? Uh, you know, they, they seem to sort of be doing what sounds like you're doing, but maybe not in such a special, uh, in, in such an intentionally focused way. Well, yeah, Huffington Post is, is um, well, firstly, is, first off, it's not really a community. So there's still editors and journalists at Huffington Post creating content True. and choosing yep. which stories yep. are on yep. the homepage, right? At Newsana, all of that role is put in, in the hands of our community members. Um, which I think is um, a, an important innovation in a lot of ways because ultimately the readers get to choose what other readers of Newsana get to see. Um, uh, so it's a more democratic way of creating a news site. What's wrong with it? So, what, you know, journalists for human rights, you've clearly been writing and thinking and reading uh, around this issue for many years. Yeah. Is it just the ubiquity of information today that's a problem with news? I mean, I, I, is it about ideology? Is it about being unable to filter the supposed, what is it, 17,000 images we see every day or something ridiculous when you start looking at numbers, you know, with billboards and papers and TV and so on? Um, I guess what's interesting to me, Ben, is, is this whole idea of juxtaposition. So you know, kind of an idea that Postman had, um, I'm dating myself, amusing ourselves to death, this idea that, you know, you see something incredibly important like about Cambodia or the mm -hmm. CAR, but it's, it's, it's juxtaposed beside uh, uh, a Friends episode or How I Met Your Mother episode, mm -hmm. and there's no way to, to, to give the meaning to the one without taking away from the other, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. So is, is that a even more serious problem on the internet because I'm just clicking from well, one the, thing to the next? The internet is, you have to remember that the internet online news is extraordinarily new. And we're just mm. figuring yeah. out what works and what doesn't work, right? It took 400 years from the time the printing press was invented to figuring out that a book was a good form for right. printed words to right. take. Right, and no then it took. No wonder chapters is having such a time. <laughs> yeah, and then it took another, you know, however many centuries to figure out that newspapers were actually good, and it was, you know, decades and decades of, you know, centuries of refining and improving the newspaper to where it, you know, to its current state. Right, we're just in the first couple years of the internet of online news, so I think. The jury is still it's out fair, on totally what that fair. form is, what the ultimate form is going to take well, and how I mean, it's most useful for people. But right television. now, it's a huge problem. Television, you know, images, really. How, yeah. What are we, 120 years old, maybe? 130, maybe? I don't know. You know, I moving images, even tell you. not even yeah. 100. Yeah. I mean, it's, so, so yeah, yeah, I think it's way too early to tell. Yeah, no, fair, fair yeah. point. Listen, I love the newspaper. 
yeah. right? My kids, four, uh, six and eight, they're gonna they're gonna definitely refer to their dad as a bit of an old fart. You know, I like the I like the smell of the paper. I like the feel of it in my hand. Am, yeah. am I an old fart, Ben? I mean, I, I don't think should, so. Should, I think that there's there's a, a lot of people that really do like that, and you know, magazine sales are still decently strong. People mm-hmm. like that physical, the, you know, the weight, the physical presence. And the other issue is that you know, with a newspaper, there's a lot of all the work that's been put into the layout of a newspaper gives you, as a reader, different signals as to the importance of each of the story. In the internet, every headline screams. It's like, you know, you read a story, that's the only thing you see on the page most of the time. You don't know how important that is relative to the next story. But on a newspaper, you know, the layout, the whole feel, the look, the size of the picture, the size of the font, the size of the headline, all tell you what you should be reading. It becomes a very... um, understandable consumption experience. We're still trying to figure that out in the online context. One of the things that drives me crazy uh, about things like Facebook uh, and even getting onto more remote websites, uh, news sites that you know you connect link to link, so within two links you're on somebody else's news site or yeah. a blog, are the just absurd advertisements yeah. you know, for penis enlargement and, and women <laughs> with large breasts who are trying to get me to call their, their dating lines yeah. and these kinds of things. And it's comical on one hand and actually I, I kind of think deeply tragic on another. And, and that's something the newspaper doesn't quite have to deal with in the same way, that, that level of distraction. Yeah, it I doesn't, think that's you know, right. Ben, I think what yeah. I'm trying to say is that, that you know, as an internet news consumer, uh, maybe I will go deep. Yeah. As I read The Economist and Al Jazeera and BBC and so yeah. on, but chances are I'm not going to necessarily quick to page two of the article. Yes. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and, yeah. and maybe that's one of those things that we got to figure out. I think, and, and this is one of the interesting developments going on in online news right now, is that people consume news based on the medium by which they are consuming it. And the technology. So people read news very differently when they read a newspaper versus a magazine. And they read news very differently if they're reading it on a, on a desktop versus a True. tablet yeah, versus desktop, a smartphone. Tablet, smartphone. Yeah, for sure. All very different news consumption experiences. So generally, on, the smaller the device, the, the, more, uh, the less they will spend on any specific page. Um, and so what's happening now, I think some of the best news organizations out there are, um, you know, are adapting the content that they're producing to the specific device that they're producing it to. So for if people are reading something on a, on a desktop, it'll be a little bit longer. If they're reading it on a tablet, a little bit, a little bit shorter, but still you know, lengthy. On a mobile phone, 50 words and you're out. Right. So, right. And, and what's happening now is some of the organizations, and different times of the day, people are right. predictably sure. on different machines, right? Sure. You wake up in the morning, you're on a tablet, then you go to your desktop, then you might go to your smartphone on your, you know, the subway ride to work. Then you're at work at, yeah, then you're at work and you're back on a PC, then you're back on your smartphone, then you're on your tablet. And so over the course of the day, the the news flow and how news is consumed, or how news is produced is gonna change 
predictably based on where people are uh, I have a, I have, on their devices. It's fascinating. Friend, I have a friend who reads The Economist, oh, I guess you should say, listens to The Economist now religiously, and so yeah. he gets the hard-copied version, yeah. but he also gets it for another four ninety-nine downloaded to his iPhone. Yeah. He listens to it on the way to work because he's got an hour, ten drive to Markham, yeah. and the, 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 the hard copies don't even get cracked open. Yeah. They sit in a pile on his desk, and I guess he recycles them or maybe passes them. He's listening to the whole magazine. Yeah. Now, odds are, if he was reading hard copy, he wouldn't have done the whole magazine. There yeah. would be articles that he would miss, and I guess we could get into arguments about conversations about listening versus reading and so on, but, but almost, you know, I mean, that to me is fascinating well, know, from I, his perspective. Look, people know. can consume news however they want, Yes, whether they want to listen to it, whether they want to read it, long form, short form, whatever. And so it's a free-for-all, just like, you know, the amount of, the, the amount of content is limitless, so is the ways to consume it. Are, um, we, um, are we the dumbest generation? Are we becoming the dumbest generation because no, of all this? No, we might be becoming the most informed generation. Okay. There's more information available than ever before. The question is, do we take the time to absorb it and to think around it? Or is it just news, 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 and we don't so have So that's time. good. I want to come back to layout as well, because I think the Newsana layout, by the way, I've spent lots of time on the site, and I think it's wonderful. It's really awesome. slick, and not just slick from a you know, sexy perspective, but slick from a, from a, from a consumption perspective, I suppose. I want to come back you. to that because you made some pretty interesting comments about the newspaper mm -hmm. versus online. But, but um, this whole uh, consumption thing, as a journalist, as a Newsana mm -hmm. co-founder and so on now, are you hoping that people will act responsibly? Or is this just, I mean, so in other words, I'm going to read a story about the CAR, mm -hmm. I'm going to read a story about Cambodia or about Darfur or about what's going on in First Nation community and residential schooling here mm -hmm. in Canada. Am I now going to hopefully get involved? Is that sort of what the goal of a, a good journalist is, to stir it up so that people will not only think about things in a different way, but now actually play it out? I'm actually going to get involved. I think traditionally journalists are very hesitant to make that connection because there's this whole idea of objectivity in journalism. That mm -hmm. They just want to present the facts and let people do what they will around it. Now, I think the, personally that the whole idea of objectivity in journalism is taking a, is a wrong and corrupt, because there's no such thing as objectivity. Good. Everybody pretends they're agree. objective, but they really are not. And, um, and so, and I think we're starting to see more and more mainstream news organizations um, understand that and accept it and go with the flow uh, and, and you know own the fact that they're that they're biased in some ways. Now, sometimes you don't like that. I don't like Fox News, but they're not they don't really hide where they're coming from. They might say they're objective, but you know they know that they're not. But at the same time, there's a lot of really good journalism on the other side that tries to get people involved in issues like you were talking about in Cambodia and whatnot. So um, I think that journalists, again, are hesitant in a lot of ways to say, to try and put two and two together and say, you know, read this story and I want you to get involved. But at the very least, what they want, pe they want people to do is become more informed. And then it's up to the individuals to take action based on the information that they consume. I'm going to, I'm going to provide the, the, the assessment of this as objectively as I can. I'm going to then hopefully act as a catalyst. I'm going to plant a seed with you to maybe do a bit more research, to get involved in some but way. The whole idea, so I started Journalists for Human Rights back in 2001. And the whole idea behind JHR 
is that we work, we train journalists in developing countries to report more effectively on human rights and good governance issues. And that A, increases public awareness about human rights, which is not always that high uh, to begin with. And B, it pressures governments and civil societies to respect human rights issues more than they are currently. Um, this works very well in countries where journalism and the whole journalism infrastructure is at, it, at its infancy and where you know democracy and human rights are relatively new concepts mm. so countries Cambodia springs to mind ben. Cambodia is a great example I think you know where we worked is in post-conflict countries in West Africa largely mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. like Sierra Leone yep. Liberia Congo was another is another one of our big projects where um, there's not a lot of public awareness or information about what it is, what human rights are, what you know, good governance really means. So in that case, the journalists that we trained were not, the goal wasn't for them to go out, report a story and get, you know, create an entire, you know, create movements around what they were reporting, but it was the collective action of their reporting is meant to increase public awareness, debate, and dialogue on those issues, which has tremendous long-term effects and uh, a big impact on the way that the, these countries have, uh, have developed. Well, it's, it's kind of like a check and balance, really, isn't it? I mean, so if some, you know, this underreported news that, that we haven't really talked a lot about, if we don't know about it, how is anyone actually going to even begin to consider doing anything about it. So, I mean, that's at least the first step, right? First step is to talk about it, yeah. to admit you got a problem, and then at least maybe you can, you know, take it to the next level. Yeah, and I think in a lot of ways that's what journalism does, is exposes issues. Yeah. It um, makes people aware that things are happening. But ultimately then it's up to the various other mechanisms of society to, to push it over the line. Did you, did you ever as a journalist um, come across stories that you told, uh, that you wrote about, that you followed even, that you wish you could have got more involved with? So I am not, just to be yes. clear, I'm not actually a journalist. Oh, okay. So I've never been, I've never been well, a journalist, I've never written. But I've 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 worked with journalists. Yeah. I've worked in the journalism sector for a long time. But I've never actually been a reporter. Um, so, um, and look, there are issues all the time that we dealt with at JHR. I bet yeah. where you know are the people you know our our trainers and the journalists, the local journalists that we worked with, got totally emotionally wrapped up in. And a lot of stories that ended up having a huge impact. You know, JHR stories that JHR helped expose of have changed laws, have freed slaves, have, God, there's like, you know, there's hundreds of examples where stories that we, our people worked on had had a real world, like serious, big, real world impact. Got ministers and governments fired over corruption issues, all kinds mm -hmm. of different things. Um, so journalism makes a direct impact because it exposes injustices. It exposes things that are not right in this world. And that ultimately, that information. We live in a world that is revolves around information. If you don't know if a tree falls in the woods, then yeah. it doesn't yeah. fall, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you know that tree falls, you can go up and clean it up, right? Yeah. 
the world isn't perfect, and sometimes you report on an issue that should create a big reaction, and it doesn't. And it doesn't, yeah. Right? And so what do you do? Well, you go out and report on it again, and report on it again, and report on it again. And hopefully, eventually, it will gain the momentum and pick up steam, right? And love, if it doesn't, I, you have to move on. I love the, I love the little thing uh, uh, like aspect to journalism, I think. I love the seed planting, the catalyst, the incrementalism of it all. Yeah. You know, that, that maybe, you know, you're going to break a story that nobody's heard about uh, that is going to lead to, well, not necessarily a politician getting fired or something maybe that extreme, yeah. but maybe it's going to lead to a, an uprising of a sort, yeah. uh, whatever that might mean. And I, I think that's yeah. amazing. And I think, again, it's, a, it's just a great reminder to most of us that we're all involved in some way or another with you know, uh, uh, making a difference on some level, it yeah. seems to me. Well, the, the real difficulty right now in the journalism world, of course, is that, that you know, it takes a lot of resources to break stories often and to do the serious investigative work. And um, less and less organizations are putting money into that kind of work. So especially in the digital world, it tends to be all quick hit, easy story right. stuff, right. as opposed to the real investigative um, stuff. And you know, the investigative part of the journalism world never made any money. Um, basically, newspapers would make all their money in their classified ads in auto sections and um, basically use, uh, use the profits there to offset losses in their investigative unit. Right. But with all the money sucked out of the classified ads and not very little money coming back in, form of, in the form of digital advertising, newspapers are making very difficult decisions. So a lot of the really good investigative work is now being done in a whole variety of different fascinating ways. It's being done by NGOs. You know, Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International are basically journalism organizations now. You have um, nonprofits stepping up to the, you know, nonprofit journalism organizations like ProPublica stepping up to the plate. You have individual bloggers. You have Twitter, you know, people on Twitter who are breaking stories and compiling stories, like you know what some amazing work they did around, you know, happened around the the um, Arab Spring. It's just a small example of that. So news is coming from all kinds of different places, and I think it, it's leading traditionalists to become very nervous because they don't understand this new order. And right. I don't think that anybody really understands this new order because, again, it's brand new. And it will take decades to fall out and sort itself out. What I love about, about what you're doing with Nuzen is, so, yeah, brand new, you're clearly not a traditionalist. You're taking it face on and saying, I don't really understand this completely. I do have a fairly decent sense of it. I'm young. I, I, I'm a I worked with journalists, so I get the field, I get the environment, um, but I'm going in. I'm going in, uh, and I'm going to make a difference. That, yeah. It seems like that's the approach you're taking. Well, you got to go. You know, you've yeah. You got to you got to go in why and do you try and go? do but stuff. Why? Why? Who, who gives the rat's ass? Well, I think if you're passionate about something, you see something, you think you have ideas in a specific area. Look, I've you know personally, you know, I've always been a, a bit of a risk taker and a, you know I'm a bit of an entrepreneur, and I think you know there's nothing from a personal perspective more satisfying than having an idea and you know seeing that idea executed and becoming you know becoming more than you ever imagined it could be. Um, and so we had, you know, with, with you know, JHR, it started JHR, ran it for almost a decade, and we had tremendous success there. 
And, um, and you know, Nuzana is uh, another entrepreneurial venture of mine, and one that's, uh, that's, that's different, but equally exciting and in are a lot you, of ways. I mean, I don't get the sense from you that you're, and I hardly know you at all, but I don't get the sense from you that you're motivated by money. You don't start Journalists for Human Rights in Nuzana to make bags of cash, I don't think. That could ultimately be something that comes as a result of it, I suppose. But can we get, can we peel back a few layers of the onion here? What, sure. Why did, why? why? Why bother? Like, why aren't you in the corporate sector? Why didn't you work for RBC uh, or, or uh, an investment firm? And, and so you've chosen to, 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 to shout uh, stories from the mountaintops that nobody would normally have heard. So I ended up, look, I've, I've been very lucky in my life and I've been, you know, my, I've been born to a, into a privileged situation in a lot of ways and um, felt like, you know, I've been, you know, my parents have been amazing and loving and supporting, uh, supportive. And um, I ended up, um, you know, I, I graduated with a master's degree in political theory and I didn't know what the heck I wanted to do with my life. And so, you know, I was, I was growing up, I was always kind of engaged in these issues, but not in a real way. Um, but then I ended up and I wanted to see the world and, and get paid at the same time. So right. I ended up getting a job in Ghana, in West Africa, wow. where I was writing Ghana's reports to the UN uh, on international human rights treaties. Okay. And I fell, it was only a six Pretty month. Pretty light, light job right <laughs> Well, it was you a did, six You didn't month. want to work in a golf course? No, no, no. I, 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 I did a few I did a few jobs like that but um, but no this was something that was really and it impacted me and uh, it you know that six month period really changed my life I and it, it opened did. up my world to things like want to talk about like, like your right? time in um, like your time in Cambodia it sounds like yeah um, it really changed my world my worldview and my perspective on things and I fell in love with the issues at hand. And you know, Ghana was a brand. It was a brand new democracy at the time. They had just held their first, um, hmm. uh, their first free election, and things were still very unstable there in a lot of ways. Um, and what I found was that um, you know, I was working in the human rights field, doing a lot of work, talking to a lot of human rights people, but. 99% of the stuff that human rights people were doing, including to a degree myself at the time, made zero impact. Hmm. Uh, there's a huge, you know, huge part of the international development industry, in my opinion, just exists to exist and to self to, to, to sustain itself as opposed to actually right. making an impact. And so I looked at this and I said, listen, what could we do to make an impact with regard to human rights? Something I'm very passionate about it. And so journalism was the obvious answer. The biggest problem in Ghana at the time with human rights was lack of public awareness about human rights. How do you increase public awareness and debate and dialogue about human rights? Well, you get people talking about it. You get people talking about it by getting it on, it on the radio, on the talk shows, in the newspapers, on, the t on TV. And so that's what, we, that's what we ended up doing. And so the journalism part of this, journalism has, for me, always been a mechanism to something greater. Um, hmm. Journalism nice. is not be all and end all. Is, is not an end in and of itself, but a means to an end. And um, uh, I, I believe passionately in the power of news and information to change the world. Um, uh, you know, did that with JHR in the developing world, and now I'm attempting to do it in uh, the developed world, this part of the world, through News Anna. 
tell me just a tiny bit about your privileged situation. And I, I don't need numbers or any of that kind of thing or where you lived, you know, how many cars you had. What I want to know is, did your family, did your brothers, sisters, mom, dad, uncles, aunts, foster this inquisitive spirit? Oh, yeah, definitely. And, and listen, and, and, I was always... Uh, you know, every my whole life was a big debate around the dining room table talking about, <laughs> you know, great. what was going on and, That's awesome. you know, and all kinds of different issues. And um, and so it was very, you know, very loving, very intellectual upbringing and not about uh, the emphasis was never on, on on making money or on, you know, doing things, being successful for successes for success sake but on doing things for uh, the greater good and having a bigger, broader perspective on, the, on things. And so that really rubbed off on me. I think, just hit me, and I, I can't believe I haven't asked you about this earlier, but is journalism really about the other? Is, is the work that you've been doing about the other? Clearly, you know, you can argue everything we do is self-interested in some way, I suppose, you know, because it's going to pay for bills, it's going to appeal to my ego, et cetera, and so on. But I, my, one of my... my projects for the rest of my life is going to be figuring out how to get people here mm -hmm. in the global north concerned about those uh, outside of their own backyard, whether it's the global south or whether it literally is outside of their own backyard. Yeah. If you live in Oakville, yeah. richest place in Canada, what do you know about Hamilton, one yeah. of the more at-risk communities in Canada? Um, probably not a whole lot. And how yeah. the heck do we change that? How do we get people out of their own skins? We don't need men. We yeah. don't need any more reasons to think about ourselves. And I'm, I'm kind of sick of it. Yeah. And I sound sanctimonious, I suppose. But greater good. Others. Um, getting people out of their own... How, how yeah. do we do it? You know, And maybe it's partially through news. But I think... I think it's very difficult. My, my belief in all of this, and I'm maybe a little bit skeptical, but... Is that you know human, most humans are wired to be self-interested, and it's for a reason, right? You know we have to live, we have to you know we have to drink water and eat food and have shelter in order to survive, right? And so we need to always think about you know making sure that our stuff is you know our own personal lives and our family are looked after. But you know I think that once people feel secure personally in their situation and their family situation it's only then that most people start looking outside hmm. to make a difference to make an impact so and that's why you know charitable fundraising uh, has been in the dumps for the last number of years because you know people increasingly you know well you know since the big financial collapse in 2008 have been feeling quite insecure, uh, most people, a lot of people have been feeling quite insecure about where they're at and their jobs and, you know, there's not a clear path forward, there's not, uh, for, for a lot of people. Um, and so, you know, in a lot of ways we have to, you know, once we are able to repair our economy, hmm. I think then we can uh, start addressing the bigger issues in, in a better, more significant way than we have. Now, that being said, if you look at where we're at and how stable we are compared to any standard other than the very like you know you know other than you know the you know we live in the top one like any anybody in Canada is way better off than the vast majority of this world um, you know we don't have you know people aren't there's a lot of poverty and every person's own experiences are relative of course but 
That there being are different said, kinds of poverty. There's different there kinds, kinds of poverty. poverty. There's different kinds of poverty. But listen, we're not. Um, no one in Canada is starving to death. And that's a like no one. That's a real thing in a, big parts of this world, right? Where people actually are like just becoming un, just under a billion people will go to bed hungry tonight. Absolute poverty is a real issue in this world, but is not. You know, it, so so we have. So what, what I'm basically saying is, while well, everybody's situation is relative and, and their own, and I can never, can never pass judgment on, on that, I think still even today, you know, middle class, especially middle class Canadians, are in a situation where they might not feel that, you know, that secure, that privileged. But if right, they look right, at themselves right. next to their situation, or people, you know, the situation that they would be in if they were, they were born and lived in other countries, they'd recognize that they're pretty well darn well off and that they actually might be able to spend a little bit more time and a little bit more money on caring about caring about others bigger yeah. issues. Yeah, and it's not just about money, it's about time and focus and commitment and intentionality and I think on some level it probably starts with, you know, at the risk of sounding kind of trite and uh, news, being aware. Being aware of what yeah. the heck is going on, and if, if yeah. you don't know the issues, how the heck can you then, you know, get involved? I, and you know, I asked you the question about your privileged background and about your dinner table conversations. Yeah. And I'm so glad you mentioned that because, you know, I have a six and an eight year old, Spencer, Victoria, and Elizabeth, and I. I mean, we're trying to foster that. Yeah. You know, my kids know where Ulan Batar is. Yeah. It's great. They don't know how to spell it. I don't know how to spell it actually, <laughs> but they know where it is. They know how to pronounce Phnom Penh. You yeah. know, they don't pronounce it like the lazy colonial non pen, right? Yeah. And and um, I think that's cool. Yeah. For a whole lot of reasons, capital C yeah. cool is just a little too Quentin Tarantino like for me. But there's yeah. more substance there than that. But yeah. And I think that's really important. And I and I love w what you guys are doing with News Anna. What's um? We're gonna have to wrap up in a couple minutes. But yeah. what's what's next for you guys? So you're only a year, a year in, are you? Yeah, we launched in April of last year. So not um, even, okay, so, so just well, about just, a year. Just about a year. And um, we've learned a lot. It's been, uh, it's been, there's been some lots of ups and lots of downs, and we're just trying to sort it out. Um, it's a difficult space. But what we're, what we're doing next is we are um, really excited about this, is we're launching a new platform called News called Newsana Plus, at least it's called that for now. What it's going to be is it's going to, we're going to have different experts in different subjects create their own curated news magazine. So uh, David, I believe that you are curating a news magazine, which we're very excited about. <laughs> so you. your news magazine is going, to be on, is, yeah. is going to be on incremental change, right? And so you, in, in that role, you are going to go out and find the best of the best stories on your subject and then publish those best of the best stories all together in a package um, once a week, I believe, right? Yes. Yep. So you are going to you know, provide your subscribers to your magazine with really good content all packaged up together to help those people cut through the noise and read those stories that are really, really good um, on the subject at hand, on incremental change. And I think it's those kind of services that I think are going to be very important moving forward in an increasingly cluttered world. How do you break through that clutter? How do you get through that mess? Well, you get through that by uh, people like you who can help you know, walk people through this, you know, through this messy house to 
the place where the you know to, to the place where they want to be. It's like you know, find how do you guide people through the maze yeah, sure. of all this craziness to get to where they want to go? So maybe we could wrap up on this uh, on this question, and, yeah. and maybe it'll lead to somewhere else. But this idea of decluttering, other than joining you know New Zana, how yeah. how can somebody uh, declutter in 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 a a, a, a Twitterized world. Well, look, there's a lot With of different ways. News, I yeah, guess. yeah. I'm not talking about your yoga practice. Yeah, but maybe, maybe I am. I don't know. Yeah. Well, so I think um, I think it's hard. I think there's it's very hard to find the you know the the to declutter right now because there's just so much. So people who are on Twitter, most a lot of people get information on Twitter now. Um, you know, you can sort through. You know, you can create lists on Twitter. Where you have different, you know, different people in different categories, but it, re- it requires a tremendous amount of work, and not the kind of work that most average Twitter users are going to do, right? So you have to find those services that make that, that do provide that separation, and that's what we're trying to build at Nuzana, and we're quite excited about where we're going with this Nuzana Plus. That's great. Uh, ben, thanks a lot for joining us today. I, I, my favorite line, and it's becoming kind of a tagline, is that there's more going on than meets the eye. And, uh, you know, it's, that's kind of my good night and good luck, I guess. <laughs> but it really is amazing to me. I can, I'm on my, I don't know, 65th podcast or whatever oh, it is, and everybody I've interviewed, it's just, I feel like, you know, yeah, sorry, got sh- to shut it down. But yeah. uh, uh, So hopefully we can, we can talk again in, in maybe a year's time and see where Nuzana Plus has gone. But uh, appreciate you uh, spending time with us today. Awesome. Uh, ben Peterson from Nuzana.com. That's N-E-W-S-A-N-A.com. Check it out. Declutter. Get on board. Um, thanks, Ben. Thanks, David.